Welcome to the Every Day is Saturday podcast. The number one motivation show on the planet. No more Mondays for you. It's time to make every day Saturday. This is the podcast where we help you to accept who you are, not where you are. On the roller coaster of life, you know we only sit in the front seat champion. So make sure you are fastened in Let's go. Tired of feeling run down all the time during the week? We can help you make every day feel like it's a Saturday. Let's go pack your bags. It's time to leave Averageville. Introducing the man who thinks abnormal stands for above normal. When you're on fire, people will travel from miles around to watch you burn, baby. We are fired up. The host of the Every Day is Saturday show, Sam Crowley. All right, welcome back to the show. We're talking money with Murray. Murray, how you doing, buddy? Good, Sam. How are you today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I've done the podcast with Murray. We got to be talking about that five-letter word that everybody loves, M-O-N-E-Y, money. Uh, Murray, what's Murray? M-U-R-R-A-Y. Oh, six letters. Okay. I was going to say, man, that'd be a great podcast, you know? <laughs> um, so uh, get getting into uh, diving into it, this could go one of two ways. It's, we're going to be talking about tax strategies of the wealth. So we could go and bore people to death and put them to sleep, or we could get them excited about how wealthy people use their taxes. If I had to guess, Murray, we're going to make this one exciting. True? I think that knowing you and knowing me, there's no way this is going to be boring. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. So I heard once from an author on money that... Uh, the difference between employees and entrepreneurs, and I want to ask you this, just give me your unfiltered reaction to this concept, that employees get paid, the government takes their fair share, or takes their share, I don't want to say fair share, government takes their share, and then the employee gets what's left. The entrepreneurial world, uh, the entrepreneur makes their money, they take their share, and the government gets what's left. Just react to that. I love that because um, you're in control. It's just a matter of who's controlling the um, amount of tax you pay. And as an entrepreneur, small business owner, you have the um, you have basically the IRS code working for you as opposed to against you. All the tax laws in this country are set up to favor people that own a business. So I did a podcast on this probably three months ago when I talked about, you know, should you own an LLC or an S Corp or a C Corp? What are the benefits of doing that? And yes, it all makes sense if you're going to be in business for yourself. And I'm talking about even if it's just a side hustle, it makes sense to separate that business so that you have deductions. Look, the IRS gives us four ways to reduce our taxes. They're in the form of deductions, exclusions, credits, and exemptions. You don't have access to a lot of this as a as a ten as a W two employee. There's only so much that you can write off. However, if you have a side hustle, and I'm a big believer in having a secondary stream of income and being able to create other multiple streams as well. And you've heard Sam and I talk about this on this podcast before. It's very very important for you to be in a position that you can take advantage of what the IRS hands us in terms of how we can reduce our taxes and avoid certain taxes and reduce our taxes. So I, I think this is this is a very, very important topic. Also, yeah. what I think of when you bring that up is I think of um, people that are 
in a situation where there, there, there's some sort of an entrepreneurial venture going on, whether it's a consulting gig or even if you're doing something on the side, like, you know, using your car to, you know, truck people around in, in an Uber or Lyft type scenario, or you're, you're you know, doing something, uh, you know, with uh, writing or anything that could be, a, you know, considered a side hustle aside from your day job, that in itself is going to allow you to have a tremendous advantage when it comes to reducing your taxes. Yeah, I remember, that's a great point. I remember uh, back in 2002, I bought my first rental property and I was going through, have you ever heard of Russ Whitney? You know, Russ Whitney, the real estate. Of course, okay. yeah. Sure. Okay. So in the late nineties, I was, I was diving into all of his audios and listening to his back CDs. You know, I remember we had CDs. My God, I thought that was such cutting edge. Now my kids don't even know what a CD is really, but <laughs> I was listening to Russ Whitney CDs driving around all the time as part of it. And this real estate curriculum. And he said, you know, whatever you do, form an LLC, form an LLC, form an LLC. Well, I formed an LLC and I remember the huge benefit. So the 2002, I bought my first rental that I bought. I ended up getting 40 rentals, sight unseen, you know, owner financing, wow. just how they teach you to do it. It was crazy. So anyway, I went from zero to imagine that me going from zero to 40 that quickly. So um, but it was pretty wild because I started to see the passive, the flow through taxes um, that come through on your schedule C and, you know, I'm not even a tax guy, but having had an LLC now for the better part of 20 years, I can tell you that, you know, that trip to home Depot that I was going to buy a hammer. Well, you know what, that's deductible now because I was using that on my rental properties, the gas that I was using, I'd started to occur to me very quickly that the everyday activities that I was doing was also offsetting my income because it was legally deductible. Now, let me start out at the very beginning and say, we're not, Nobody is saying to evade taxes, that's illegal, but avoiding taxes is very legal if you do it within the IRS guidelines here in the United States. So, you know, that first LLC that I set up, Murray, I saw that in the first, my accountant did my tax. I was like, whoa, man, this really lowered my income legally because of all of the things I was already doing, but I was doing them now for the purpose of a business. You know, that example is, is just a glaring example of exactly what I wanted to talk about today. It's, it's the same thing when you think about, we all have a mobile phone today, right? I mean, 99.9% yeah. .9 of people have a mobile phone or a smart device and we all pay hundreds of dollars, you know, a hundred at least dollars a month to run this with wireless and all the things that we have that work through this, this little device that we carry around. We have to pay that as an employee, we have to pay that after tax. So you're gonna pay $100, it's gonna cost you $100 out of your pocket after tax. Mm -hmm. But if you had a business and you use that phone for business, you would have that as a, as a business deduction. So you literally would pay for that from the business and it would reduce the amount you're actually paying by at least 30% between federal and state taxes. So your $100 bill that you would normally pay as an employee, which really is after-tax money, so you had to earn $130 to pay that $100 bill, now it's truly $100 that you're spending. So, I mean, we're using easy math example here of just a $30 savings, but that's 30%. Add that to your income, you can see how that can make a huge dent in your tax bill every year. Yeah, exactly. And you know, it, it's, it's pretty wild because I always thought it was super expensive. You have to hire an attorney and you got to form this partnership and maybe you can just, you can describe just in layman's terms, the, um, and I don't want to get too into the tax code, but 
I have a couple questions for you. Is, uh, you know, is it expensive to set up one of these business corporations? Number one, number two, what are the basic elementary levels of explaining it to someone who may not know the difference between an S corp, a C corp and an LLC. So you can, you can take that wherever you want to take it in basic terms, how you would, wh which would be best for what type of entity. If somebody's starting a side hustle and they want to do an online business, for example, maybe they're doing Amazon, you know, and they're doing e-commerce or maybe they're driving for Uber or something like that. Um, what's the best corporations to set up for SC and LLC? Because I don't think we have a lot of people listening that are going to go start the next IBM right now. You know what I mean? And, uh, then, and Yeah, and that's and, not actually what we're even talking about because those people are going to consult with attorneys and accountants and and all the, the legal people that they have to in order to get those big corporations set up. And typically those guys are you know looking at employing 50 or 100 or more employees. We're talking about sole proprietorships here, which yeah. is the direction that we'll, we'll go. Um, back up just one second, Sam, and then I'll answer that question directly. Yeah. It's if you, if you make money and then pay taxes on it, you're always going to be working for a living. What, what wealthy people have learned and, and have done for decades and decades and decades is not just make money and pay taxes. What they do is they build assets. They continue to build those assets like you did with those rental properties. And then rather than take an income, they borrow against the asset. Mm -hmm. That is utilizing debt in a way that actually makes uh, um, your income portfolio completely change. So it's very, very important that you understand the use of debt in a small business because debt is not um, taxable. <laughs> when you borrow money from your own asset, it's not taxable. One of the things that I've done successfully with a lot of my clients, I've done it myself personally at least two times. I'm, I'm just started a new uh, insurance policy this year in 2021, where I used a life insurance policy in order to build up cash value over a period of time, systematically saving money into a cash value life insurance policy because not because life insurance is this great investment, but they have an incredible structure that allows you to borrow from the company, not from your own money. So easy math, I put $100,000 over a period of time into a life insurance policy. That might be, I don't know, 5,000 a year, 10,000 a year, whatever a person can afford. Over a period of time, you build up an asset, let's say, let's call it 100 grand for easy math. Now I just let that asset sit and it grows over a period of time and it increases in compounds because life insurance policies like other investments like 401ks and municipal bonds and health savings accounts, these are accounts that allow you to grow the money tax-free. And as it grows tax-free, it compounds tax-free. And according to Albert Einstein, compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. So you get to see it doubling over a period of time. So we'll take that hundred grand and it turns into 200 grand and now, rather than withdraw the money and pay taxes on it, what you can do in a, in a properly structured life insurance contract is you can tell the insurance company, hey, I'd like to take out a loan and use my money that's in this policy and my cash value as collateral. And if you've got the right company, and there's a handful of them that do this, and I love these companies, they will take their money out of the general fund of the company, not out of your money, using your money as collateral and loan it to you. No loan application. It's automatic. You just put, you know, you just sign a piece of paper and say, I want to take a loan out against my own money that's in the policy. So in this case of $200,000 sitting there over a period of time that's grown, 100,000 of my money, 100,000 of, of growth. 
So I've got a gain of a hundred grand. I go in there and I say, give me a $190,000 loan. They give me the money. I get the cash. I put it in the bank. I don't know what dime attacks on it. Why? Because it's debt. It's money that I owe to someone else, to the insurance company. But here's the beauty. Here's the beauty. This is where people get freaked out. And this is where it gets real sexy. That $200,000 that I use as collateral is still in my account, earning interest and compounding. And these insurance companies give you these extremely low interest loans. And when I say low interest, I'm talking like one or 2%. There's even a handful of companies that do what is called a zero wash loan, which allows you to borrow the money at 0% because they're going to say, charge you 6% interest on the loan and give you 6% interest in your account. It washes at zero. So I am now controlling $190,000 of money that is, that is borrowed from the insurance company, not from myself. My money's still in there earning interest. And I've got this 190 grand to go out and build my business, buy my next piece of rental real estate or property or do something like that. That is the leverage aspect that we're talking about when you build an income producing asset that you can borrow from. That is a really, really important subject for people to understand, Sam, because that is something that everyone can do. You don't have to be super wealthy to do that. You can just do it over a period of time with, with a systematic approach to it. I wish uh, I would have known that. Um, I just want to ask you a couple, because I, I, I think I told you I drained my entire 401k when I started. Well, I bought the Quiznos and then ended up going out on my own and I didn't have any yes, money. So yes. my accountant was just beside himself pulling his hair out. You can't do this. You're paying 28% tax on it and then you're paying a 10% penalty and you know, you're only going to get half. I'm like, hey. I'm going for my dream, man. I'm betting on me. You know, I realize it's the stupidest thing that anybody could do, you know, in some, in the average individual's mind. But in my mind, I'm building I'm building a million dollar business, so I'm going for it. And he's like, "Oh my God, don't do it, don't." Do it. I said, "Yeah, I'm doing." And I didn't I didn't even listen because I was so I was like uh like uh you know one of those National Geographics where you see the uh, the wounded caribou just limping out into the wilderness. And I was that hungry lion and I was just frothing at the mouth and I was just going after it. And I just wasn't going to hear anybody talk me out of it. And, you know, for most people, it's a dumb move, but for me, I gambled and that was, you know, 16 years ago, 15 years ago, it worked out pretty good so far. And uh, what would you tell, like, what, if you were my accountant back then, what would you have told me if I, if I came to you and told you I was going to do that? If I was your accountant back then, I would have told you exactly what your accountant told you. It would, because financially, it was the worst move you could possibly make. However, that being said, you did what George Washington did when he crossed the Delaware, got to the other side. He knew he was outnumbered. He knew he was outgunned. And he knew there was no way that they could win that war unless, that battle, excuse me, unless he had the attitude that there is no other way out. And so he burned the boats. There was no way back, guys. You have to win. If you don't win, you're going to die. And you know what? All that, all that sounds dramatic, but that's what you did. And as your friend or as your mentor, your money mentor, I would say, Sam, you've got this desire. There is, you're not taking no for an answer. There is no question in your mind. You're going to make this work. There is no if. You have to do it. And look, look how it turned out. Now, if you don't have that never say die attitude, I would say that you're probably taking a risk, 
But, you know, had you known this strategy, yeah, that would have been different. It, it's just something. Oh, that, yeah. I'm thinking of this whole life strategy. I think, oh, my God, I could have done that. <laughs> you know? Well, you would have had to you would have had to have the same amount of money that you had in that 401k, which, by the way, you methodically put money into that 401k, even though it was on automatic pilot and coming out of yeah. your paycheck every every week or every month, however you got paid. That's the same thing I tell people to do with this universal life policy, not necessarily whole life, which is also good. It's a little more conservative. I like the universal life, especially the indexed universal life, because it gives you the upside potential of the stock market without the downside risk, because it's all within an indice in the insurance policy, not to get into all the boring details. But basically, these policies are brilliant the way they're structured nowadays. Um, I know you're a, you're a big believer in Tony Robbins. I know I subscribe to a lot of the stuff he did. He wrote a book in 2016 called Mastering the Game of Money. And yeah. it was the seven habits of financial freedom or something like that. I can't remember exactly what it was. But there were four things he talked about. And one of them was this universal life insurance. He said you can put in unlimited deposits. You have no tax on the growth. You have no tax when it's accessed, if you access it properly through their loan programs. And then the money that's left over is going to go to your heirs when you're no longer on the planet once you die. So that's how they get away with not even having to have you pay back the loan. If you decide I never want to pay back that 190 grand in my example, you don't have to because the insurance probably is worth a half a million dollar death benefit if you passed your family, your wife, your kids, or, or your husband, your kids, however, the, whoever's listening right now, they're going to receive that 500 grand less the $190,000 loan you took out. So you're not going to ever have to worry about paying that back. You have the use of that money. It's, it's really a brilliant strategy. It is. I didn't even know we we're going to talk about that. Murray and I, I, you know, the way we, we just grip it and rip it with this podcast. We, 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 we know we're going to talk about mindset. We're going to talk about money, but we don't, I didn't know we we're going to go talk about the whole life or universal life, which I find fascinating. And I dove into a lot of those YouTube videos last fall, learning, wanted to learn more about that. I got a question on that 200 grand that you mentioned. If I borrow 190 against it, yeah. I have that 190, the 200 is still in my account. Can I get at that 200 or is it locked up because I'm borrowing 190 grand against it? Well, yeah, there's a loan against it, so you can't, okay. get, can't get at it. Um, Boy, that would be really great if I could get at it. <laughs> but yeah, that would be really great. But you wouldn't really want to get at it because don't yeah. forget, uh, in my example, the 100 grand a profit is is taxable if you withdraw it, but it's not taxable if you borrow against it. Yeah, yeah. So you don't want to have to pay taxes on it. So let's get back to your question about S corp, C corp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that's that's a great question. Um, first of all, the kiddie pool is sole proprietorship. Okay, you don't have to form anything to set up a sole proprietorship. Typically, what you do is you go down to the the town hall in the town that you live in, and you tell them, "Hey, I'm going to be doing business as you know." XYZ company, whatever the name of your company is. So it's Sam Crowley Enterprises, for example. And they say, okay, what's the address? And or, or you, you, know, you, can, you can set that up. They give you a certificate. You go down to the bank and you open up a, a bank account that says Sam Crowley doing business as Sam Crowley Enterprises. You're in business. That's the kiddie pool. That's where you, 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 know, you don't really know that the business is going to make money yet. So you don't want to spend any money on it. And that's how you start. Eventually, you start making, let's call it $500 a month or $1,000 a month, something in that neighborhood. When, you, when you're starting to earn some money from this, okay? So it's not just a hobby, you're actually earning money. At that point, I tell people, look into getting an LLC, a limited liability company. This is the first step in getting you set up so that you can eventually have a, a, a corporation 
as opposed to being an individual. Why? Number one, corporations don't die, people do. So it's always going to be around even for your heirs. Number two, it takes the liability off you. If anything to happen, you mentioned Uber driver. If you're an Uber driver, God forbid, you know, something happened, there was a liability, someone tried to sue you, you're an LLC, you're, you're protected. It's, they're, they're not suing you as an individual because the LLC owns the, the business. That's a very important point. Number two, you said, how much does this cost? And, you know, when's that turning point? You can spend anywhere from, you know, four or $500 to set up an LLC. You can do it online. If you Google LLC setup, there's tons of companies out there. One of them um, that I use in Nevada is called Laughlin and Associates. There's another one in uh, uh, LegalZoom is, is very popular. There's a, there's a lot of competitors out there. So I'm not trying to plug yeah. any particular one. They're, they're all good. Um, just get with one that's been around for a while and that's credible. Um, so you set up your LLC. And then what you do is you're going to have to file a tax um, within your tax return. There's going to be a separate schedule for your LLC. So it's not a separate tax return at this point. It's just a schedule inside your tax return. And that's the next step. The step after that is when the, the company starts making a decent amount of money where there's enough money where you could actually pay yourself a salary. This is really important. So let's just say the company gets up to, I don't know, 50, 60 grand a year. Okay. And now all of a sudden you're like, Hey, this is real money. Now I'm going to, I'm going to go to the next level. What's the next step. You can convert your LLC into an S corp. An S corp is um, where you're allowed to pay yourself a salary. You can, you, you don't have to worry about the fact that, um, it, there's just one owner because in an LLC with one owner, a single owner, you can't pay yourself a salary in that. You're just going to take distributions. But a salary is a good thing because then you're you're catching up paying your individual taxes that are required by the IRS. Mm -hmm. And you have a legit company. You have a, a, an S corp that you have everything that you would have with the LLC and more. So the, the S corp is a graduated level. And the only time I would ever really consider a C corp because uh, is when you're going to have a lot of partners or, or a lot of employees. That's big business. C corps are separate entities. There's going to be tax on you personally and in the corporation, whereas the S corp, there's no double taxation. The C corp has other benefits we won't get into on today's podcast, but I wouldn't even consider that. Like you said, most people listening to this podcast aren't going out to start the next IBM. So I wouldn't really be looking at a C corp at this point. So I'm listening to the podcast right now, <clears throat> you and I speaking, and maybe I want to start, like I said, an e-commerce store, or I want to get out and do my own thing. I'm going to do some coaching, do some consulting. Mm -hmm. I plan on getting some, some money coming in, a few grand here, a couple hundred there, making some sales. I don't want it to go into my personal bank account. After I listen to this podcast, what's the, what's the next step I should take just to, just, to, just to get into even the kiddie pool? What's the first thing I should do if I don't want to accept money into my personal account? Well, you should start a sole proprietorship, open up um, a separate bank account for your sole proprietorship. And uh, when you open up the bank account, ask them to also set up a business credit card for you. So this way, any expenses that you're going to have, you're going to use on this business credit card. You're going to also, if you're going to start accepting payment in the form of uh, digital payments like Venmo or PayPal, starting in January of 2022, Anything over $600 that you receive from Venmo or PayPal or any online uh, money service, they're going to send you a 1099K. 
that means you're going to get that reported. That That's brand new. That hasn't been done yet. That starts in January of 2022. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, so it's very, very important that you set up a business Venmo and a business PayPal if that's how you're going to be accepting money from your clients, as well as you can set up to receive credit cards if you want. So that separates it, Sam. That takes it off of you. So it's no longer Sam Crowley. It's Sam Crowley Enterprises, in my example. And yeah. uh, you're, you're, you're able to separate keep separate books for your business away from your personal life. Is there anything filed with the state at that point, or is it just going to the bank and setting up a separate? Business? It's just going to the bank and setting it up separate. And then what you're going to do is when you hand it off to your, uh, your CPA, your accountant, your tax advisor, whoever does your taxes for you, you're going to um, separate that so that they, the IRS can see that you're running a separate business on your tax return. But if somebody wants to sue me for whatever reason, I mean, look, they could, like they said, you can indict a ham sandwich, right? You can go right. to the white pages, pick a name yeah. and just sue somebody. You don't need yeah. a reason. Yeah. If, if I get sued and I got the sole proprietorship legally, and I know this isn't legal advice, you're not an attorney, but from a, from that perspective, would it be better to take it to the next level and possibly form an LLC? Yeah. And uh, you bring up a good point. I'm not an attorney and I'm, I'm not a tax accountant, I'm not a CPA, but I do work with these professionals every day. I've been trained yeah. in many of these areas. So I, I know this stuff. It's very, very important that um, for me, that people understand that, like you said, you can sue for anything and anything that you can do to protect yourself. I would say do it. I mean, um, I have two cars. One of my cars is in the company name because we use that car when we do business. That car is list, listed under the company name. It's registered under the company name. The insurance is under the company name. So that, for all practical purposes, is not my car. It's my company's car, and I get to use it. And yeah. therefore, it becomes a write-off, including the, the gas that I put in it, including the maintenance that I do to it, including the wash that I give it. Uh, you know, Those all become tax write-offs, and that's how the tax laws work in your favor as a small business that you don't get as an employee. Yeah. So getting back to the very first minute of this podcast, I said, Murray, you know, I'd heard that the entrepreneur gets paid first. He keeps it. The government gets what's left. The employee gets paid. The government takes what they want. And then you get what's left. I think people, if, they, if they've been listening this long, it's starting to kind of click because it did with me when I heard that. I was like, oh, OK, so all I got to do is just go and, you know, establish an LLC. Uh, put a rental property in that name or whatever it was. I mean, it could have be, you know, candy machines, vending machines. It doesn't matter. I was just, I didn't want to receive income any longer in my name. I wanted to separate myself from a business. Doesn't matter what the business is. And I wanted to, and you know what else it did for me, Murray? We haven't even talked about this, but it put me in a business mindset. Mm -hmm. Forget everything on paper. Mm -hmm. I now, you know, I had business cards done and I know that doesn't seem like a lot because all that is is ink on paper or the bank account. All that is is an account and there's only $100 in it. What it did for my mindset to look to say that I created a business in the land of the free, the home of the brave, where we really, it's the American dream is what we always call it, you know? It gave me like a sense of pride because I don't come from a family of entrepreneurs. Like I know my mom was a, a nurse in a factory, you know, and I don't never even met my grandparents. If I can promise you, you know, when we came over from Ireland at the time, you know, maybe we had some entrepreneurs in the family in the 1700s, but there's not a Crowley that I know that was an entrepreneur. It gave me a sense of pride to say, hey, I got a business. I think that does a lot for your mindset. I couldn't agree with you more. As a matter of fact, one of the things that you said at the top of this podcast was everybody loves the topic of money. And I kind of said, hmm, you know what? Maybe everyone doesn't. 
and yeah. maybe they don't because they don't have exactly what you just pointed out that sense of pride i think yeah. that this this is what really gives you some control and where you can change your mindset around money and really embrace money as your friend and as something that can actually help yourself help people help your family then all of a sudden that mindset changes that pride that you talk about that kicked in that you're doing your own thing and no one's ever done that before in your family. I'm, I'm the same thing. My dad was a, a manager of restaurants his whole life, never owned a restaurant. My mom worked as in a hair salon as a receptionist. Um, I had a paper route. There was no one in my family. My grandparents were factory workers. I didn't have any of the uh, entrepreneurial things. Uh, we have that in common. We didn't have anyone to look up to. And that was for me the same thing. I was like, I can get paid differently by doing my own thing. You know, whether that's, you know, cleaning buildings or mowing lawns or shoveling driveways or, you know, whatever it is when you're when you first start out, it gives you that sense of pride and then you graduate from there. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Um, so, well, that's, that's good. That's all good stuff. I, I, I had no idea we we're going to go down that route. I love what we covered today because my goal was to cover enough to get people excited about what's possible and the tax strategies of the wealthy. You can always talk to Murray and book a call with him. You just go to the familybusiness.info, hit the book a call link and Murray's right there with a calendar and a video and he'll be happy to talk to you. And, um, you know, he, he also has a podcast on iTunes and Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. The latest one's called Financial Strategies of the Super Wealthy. Check it out on iTunes, the family business. So, you know, Murray, uh, as we wrap up today's episode, by the way, thanks for going into all of that. I know, look, we could talk for hours. I, I, I happen to love this because I'm a junkie. I'm not, here, here, here's a funny story. So you can, you know, take a sip of coffee or water or whatever you want to do. Take a break. Give me 30 seconds to just tell you how shameful I am about this. I went to Penn State to major in 1986 to major in accounting. And the reason I wanted to major in accounting was because I wanted to be an FBI agent. I had an uncle that was in the FBI for 30 years, my uncle Jim. I, I'm, I'm a big crime junkie. Like I listen to crime podcasts and watch Dateline and all those things like whodunit type stuff. So I was enamored, just enthralled by the FBI. And at the time, this was the 80s, you had to be an accountant or a lawyer to be considered to go into the FBI. It was preferred, put it that way. Mm. Um, and so I'm like, okay, I'm going to major in accounting. So I'm, I got into my second semester. I didn't have to take any accounting classes my, my freshman year. I, I took accounting 101 and I dropped it. <laughs> I just, I hated it. I mean, I can't even, Murray, I could not get the damn credit and uh, debit columns to balance. I just, I remember I'm done. I said, I'm done. I'm not, I hate this. And I think sometimes in life, it's more important to know what you don't want to do than what you do want to do. And let me tell you something in no uncertain terms without, you know, this is a family show. The words that I would shout out looking at my ledger that I couldn't get at the balance. And so I say that being that I am not the individual who is out here saying, oh, I love accounting. I don't. I don't like accounting at all. I pay accountants very well to do that stuff for me because they love it. I don't know why, but they love it. You know what I do love? I love strategies of the wealthy because I'm fascinated how we can all have the same opportunities, you know, by and large. I mean, I came from a town of 8,000 people. I didn't know any of this stuff, you know, Bradford, right. PA, it's not a big deal, but we all have access to the same information. 
And when I started going to these seminars and listening to these audios, I was like, wait a minute. I mean, I thought literally, I thought I was going to get hauled off in handcuffs just for listening to this, (laughs) you know, let alone even trying it. And then I did it and nobody arrested me. And I was like, okay. And then my accountant's like, no, you can do that. That's a perfectly legal loophole. And I was like, wow. And then, you know, running into guys like Murray, who's doing this on a bigger, much bigger scale and seven figures and millions of dollars. And I, I just think, Murray, the type of stuff we're talking about, when you hear wealth strategies or financial strategies of the super wealthy, well, those terms can scare, they would have scared me off 20 years ago because I, you know, super wealthy is not what I relate to. I relate to, though, being able to keep more of my hard-earned money. And so these strategies that we've talked about for the past 30 minutes or so, you can use them you know, regardless of the amount of money you're making. And so I just wanted to share that story with you about how much I hate I accounting. It. I love it. But how much I love the information that's available to all of us about how to keep more of our money. Well, I'll I'll end by by saying this. What you just described is a perfect example of why people love your podcast. You're bringing them these little hacks, these little cutting edge strategies that anyone can utilize. I mean, most people that are listening to this, I'm going to guess and say at least half of them never heard of using debt as a strategy to get yeah. money tax-free. I mean, that is a, that is a great, uh, you know, financial hack that most people don't know. That's what the super wealthy do know. They've been doing it for years. Now everyone else can take advantage of it. If you're willing to, you know, put your head down and do it, you know, it takes a little bit of uh, a little chutzpah to get yourself on the, on the, on the way to uh, financial freedom. And it starts with that. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So Anyway, Murray, great content today, as always. Uh, we always what we bring Murray on regularly here on the show because you know you know the story. He and I connected earlier this year. I helped him launch his podcast, and he is mentoring myself and many others that are listeners of the Everyday Saturday podcast on how to make your money. You know, do well for you. Simple stuff. He's got a book a call page. If you go to thefamilybusiness.info/call, you see that, or just go to thefamilybusiness.info, hit the book a call, and talk to Murray. He's right there. You'll see him and he's got a calendar and you can book a call and have a conversation with him. Murray, you're pretty easy to talk to, right? You're not like putting anybody through the ringer uh, yeah. too much, are you? I keep it. I keep it light, my friend, because this is this is all about for me. This is all about I just I, I am driven by helping people get their financial house in order. It's just something I love to do. And therefore, it's easy for me to talk about. And, you know, obviously, uh, you know, I have tons and tons of calls that I do like this, and some of them turn out to be amazing. And I get friends like you that I uh, continue to work with for many years to come. Love it. Love it. Murray, as always, I ambushed you with all the questions. You had no idea that were coming. You hit them out of the park. Thanks, man. Good job. Good job. Everybody else, thanks so much for listening to Murray and myself. Uh, If you want to talk to Murray, just go to thefamilybusiness.info. Of course, when you're ready to launch your message in your podcast, Just go to launchwithsam.com. All right, everybody, that's a wrap. Have the best day ever. And that's a wrap. Another Everyday Saturday podcast in the books. Thanks so much for listening. Would you do your boy a favor? Would you get on iTunes or wherever you listen to the Everyday Saturday podcast and leave a rating for the show? It helps amazing people like you find the show faster. And that's what I'm looking for, amazing people like you. Hey, I'm always hanging out on the interwebs. You can check me out on Instagram, at Everyday is Saturday. Let me know you're listening to the show. Love, 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 love hearing from fans of the Everyday Saturday podcast. And one last thing, when you're ready to launch, get on my calendar, go to launchwithsam.com. You and I are going to work together to set rocket fuel to your dream. Are you ready? 
Let's do it. I'll see you on the next Everyday is Saturday podcast.